Hello, and welcome to PCOM Perspectives. I'm your host, Dr. Jay Feldstein. February marks American Heart Month, and we're marking the occasion with Kathy Hatcher, Associate Professor of Neuroscience, Physiology, and Pharmacology. Dr. Hatcher studies the molecular and cellular mechanisms of normal cardiovascular development in order to pinpoint abnormal processes that cause congenital heart defects, which occur in about 1% of live births worldwide and have been linked to a higher risk of cardiovascular disease later in life. Her work has led to the discovery of proteins that are instrumental in the binding of cells during heart formation in the embryo and has earned her grants from the National Institutes of Health and the American Heart Association. Welcome, Dr. Hatcher. Thank you, Dr. Felstein, for having me here. Dr. Hatcher, what are congenital heart defects and how are they caused and why is it important to study them? Well, congenital heart defects are abnormalities that occur during embryonic development that change the structure of the heart. And these structural changes can cause changes in heart function um, at suboptimal levels. So this can lead to cardiovascular disease affecting postnatal or adult cardiovascular function. So if the structural change is quite severe, it can affect the quality of life of the embryo and its ability to survive uh, within the womb. Um, so scientists have studied the heart's structure, development, function for a number of years, and we know that expression of certain genes are integral to normal embryonic development. Uh, given the fact that the heart is the first organ to form in the body, uh, miscues in gene expression can be extremely detrimental to heart development. So the timing and location of gene expression is, is very important uh, because these genes provide cues for the various cell types of the heart to form properly. So it's important to study heart development because it gives us insight into why congenital heart defects occur and also provides us with avenues to research to prevent their occurrence. In addition, this information is likely to be helpful in regeneration of adult cardiac tissues following an injury such as an ischemic event that would likely occur with myocardial infarction. What are the most common congenital heart defects that we see here in the United States? Uh, the most common ones, not only in the United States, but also worldwide, tend to be septal defects, um, defects occurring in the atrial septation and the septation of the ventricles. Those are the most commonly uh, caused. Uh, is that the one that most people refer to as a hole in the heart? Yes, a hole in the heart, either in the upper chambers or in the lower chambers of the heart. And they're detrimental because they allow for mixing of the unoxygenated blood with the oxygenated blood. So you get inefficient delivery of oxygen to all parts of the body. Can you tell us about your research? And do you think your research will have an impact on how congenital heart defects are treated? So my research is focused on coronary vessels and how they form during embryonic development. Um, these blood vessels are mostly located underneath the surface of the heart, so they're quite superficial, but they do delve um, deep into the interior of the heart and provide the cardiac muscle with the oxygen and nutrients that it needs uh, to supply the heart, the contractile muscle, with um, the necessary components. We've discovered that expression of certain genes that play a role in cell adhesion are uh, critical for their normal development and function of the coronary vessels and subsequently for cardiovascular development in general. And the inability of the heart tissue to survive um, is caused by the malformation of development of these coronary vessels. What direction do you envision for research of congenital heart defects in the future? 
So the field of congenital heart defect research is quite dynamic, and there's new therapeutic uh, strategies that are being interrogated on a constant basis. Um, in the past, um, doctors have relied heavily on corrective surgeries to treat these congenital heart defects, and that's been at the forefront of a solution for a long time. But there's still a large number of patients who deal with long-term morbidity and mortality. So one idea that's being bounced around right now is the idea of cell therapy to promote tissue regeneration. Um, so heart regeneration occurs in all mammals, including humans, and um, humans have the highest ability to regenerate tissues during the postnatal period, and this ability declines with age. So therefore, stem cell therapies in patients with congenital heart defects is a viable option for therapeutic treatment. But the success of this approach hinges on scientists identifying the right combinations of molecules and genes to use and being able to deliver them using the correct matrix. So that's where we are right now with that research. Is there any research on genetic editing from a congenital heart defect perspective? Yes, there is. And you may have heard about CRISPR um, gene editing in which you're able to um, sort of correct a piece of a, genetic, uh, of a gene uh, that may be affected by a mutation. Um, you can correct that in the animal and hopefully reverse some of the um, detrimental effects that you're seeing on cardiac function. Has there been any experimental animal models where they've been able to do that to kind of treat and correct congenital heart defects in the animal model? Well, not necessarily on congenital heart defects, but some have been done on skeletal muscle defects. Um, some types of myopathies have been um, corrected using that approach, okay. such, such as muscular dystrophy. Oh, well, thank you. Okay. Well, I, I do have a few questions for you, Dr. Feldstein. Um, as a former m emergency medicine doctor, did you have to deal with many cardiac events that stemmed from congenital heart defects? Uh, fortunately not, uh, but the ones I did see were actually during my residency when I was rotating through a pediatric intensive care unit where often uh, the neonates will be identified post-natal, you know, after delivery. And, you know, the most common ones, as you said, was, you know, patent ductus arteriosus or patent foramen, and they were often then whisked off to the, the pediatric specialty center. And occasionally would see a young child coming in in heart failure as a result of congenital heart disease, but usually the pediatric cardiologist were always on their way. These children were always well followed. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, and then very rarely would you see an adult, per se, with uh, underlying congenital heart disease. We'd see a couple, but not that many. And I think medicine's evolved over the years, because we're going back 30 years when, you know, when I did my residency and 25 years when I practiced, that a lot of these children are identified prenatally at ultrasound. And they go to centers where they're followed, and some of them have their surgeries even before they're delivered. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a fascinating field. So I think fortunately, you know, we're identifying these children early and getting them treatment early. How does the increase in cardiovascular disease, some of which can stem from these defects, affect our healthcare system? Well, I think cardiac disease is a prominent chronic disease in our healthcare system, specifically coronary artery disease related to atherosclerosis and hypertension and type 2 diabetes. But anything that adds to it, uh, to the burden, obviously affects our healthcare system. But I, I think because more and more children are surviving 
pediatric surgery to correct their deficiencies, physicians have to be aware they're going to see adults with cardiac disease, whether it's structural, you know, valvular, aortic coarctations, whatever. So they really do need to be aware of these conditions because they will see more and more as them as adults. Uh, you may know that I consider our students as active contributors in my lab and that they are central to my work. How do you view research in the context of training future healthcare providers and practitioners? Well, I think it's twofold. First of all, medicine is based on science, and science is based on research. So, you know, we, we've got to continue to push research because we want to turn out physicians who are at first and foremost scientists. And I also think from a competitive standpoint, in terms of graduate medical education and getting residencies, most of the residents today require research for undergraduate medical education. So we continue to need to have more and more opportunities for our students to do valuable research, not only to advance medicine as a whole, but to help them advance their careers. I'm glad to hear you say that. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, thank you, Dr. Hatcher. It is my hope that as Dr. Hatcher's innovative research continues, she will ultimately find effective therapeutics for those living with congenital heart defects. In the meantime, it's important that all of us, whether we have a defect or not, take steps to ensure we're living a heart-healthy lifestyle. This includes eating heart-healthy foods, getting exercise, getting enough sleep, and abstaining from smoking. To listen to past episodes of this podcast and become a subscriber, visit our SoundCloud page or find us on iTunes by searching Philadelphia College of Osteopathic Medicine. I'm Jay Feldstein, and this has been PCOM Perspectives.